I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, but if you do drill into someone's head, it's going to go badly for them. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Brian Plank. Back by popular demand. Just couldn't keep you away. You constantly hounded me to get back on the show and I just relented. That's what happened, really. No. No. <laughs> you fighting me. No. Yeah, I did. Because genuinely, that, that um, Bond special that we did has received quite a lot of positive feedback. I was really pleased with that. I thought it went really well at the time. And it's always nice when someone sort of sends you messages saying how how much they enjoyed listening to it. And um, so, yeah, how could we not invite you back, Brian? Oh, thanks. The box office. That's what it is. And, and... It's not Bond. It's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can still find that Bond special, the uh, Spectre special, online through our website or other places you get podcasts from. As you can find last week's episode, our, our uh, watch-along commentary, whatever you want to call it, with the Blair Witch Project. Which received slightly more polarising opinions from people. Some people seem to like it. Tony Black, who was also on the, the Spectre podcast, actually, he sent us some really nice feedback from that. We had someone else also comment on how they liked it. Other people said the format was okay, wrong choice of film. And some people just generally don't care about it at all and switched off less than halfway Did through. Did anyone listen to it while list, while watching the film? Because I listened yes. to it while watching the dishes, which is not the same thing. <laughs> so when we're talking about the like composition of this particular scene and you're just staring down at a, a bowl full of hardened Weetabix, then we're kind of, exactly, yeah, yes. it's not the same. Exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. I, I listened to it back while syncing it up with Dark Side of the Moon played backwards. And what did you hear? A, a racket. <laughs> Absolute racket. Yeah. We didn't tell you to kill your friends. No. Or go and see Kill Your Friends. No. Anyway, on to this week's podcast where we will be, <laughs> be reviewing Kill Your Friends, a scout's guide to the zombie apocalypse or something, and other things as well. But we're going to start, as we always do, with the quiz where I'm winning this round 1-0, ever closer to making Owen watch another uh, daytime detective show. I think I think you'll find you're losing one nil, Steve. Well, it depends how you want to look at it. Doesn't it? <laughs> Let's go with you losing. Okay. Yes, I'm yeah. losing one nil, one step <laughs> further away from making go and watch a, a zombie, uh, a daytime detective TV show. Um, but it's me versus Brian with Owen in the quiz chair. Well, slight change of rules this time. 
very slight change. Basically, because of Skate's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which I saw um, this week, I thought I'd have a look to see what kind of scout games there are. What do scouts play when they go camping, that sort of thing. And so, in honour of that, I, I looked up some games. The first one that I found was 20 Questions. So, are you both familiar with the rules of 20 Questions? Yes. We ask a yes or no. Yeah. Exactly. And then... It's up to you two to guess what film it is that I'm thinking of. Okay, you get 20 questions, but you're going to work in a team. So if either of you guess what the film is, mm-hmm. you win and Steve gets the point. If you don't guess it by the end, I win and I get a point. Right. If we guess, okay. but if we don't get it right, do we get a penalty or is it just we get to guess again? No, you, well, okay, let's say you can have one guess each. Of what you think the film I is. Said that. <laughs> yeah. One guess each, but twenty questions and they're all yes or no. Answers. Right. Brian, do you want to start with the first question? Okay, because I'm taller, we'll do it that way. Yeah, that's how it works. Uh oh god, I mean I have to ask a question. Has it got a female lead? No. Right. Is it a film from the nineteen nineties? No. Is it a film from earlier in the 1990s? No. Okay. Ah, getting interesting. Is it a film featuring zombies? No. Is it a film that is part of a franchise or has spawned sequels? No. Right. Hmm. What are you thinking at the moment, then? What kind of films are in your head? I won't take this as a guess. Um, nothing at all. I'm at just thinking of what, it, what it's not. Okay, what is it not? Well, it's not, it's not Back to the Future. It's not Aliens. It's not any Star Wars or Marvel or whatever films. Mm. I'm going to guess that it's either got a male lead or it's an ensemble piece. And the only ensemble I can think of are Oceans which is a franchise, and Lord of the Rings, which is a franchise. So it's not them. Is that the your first question? Thing, <laughs> the, before we started, the first thing that I thought of was, so the man in the iron mask was Jeremy Irons and Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't think it's that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good job you didn't waste your, your guess then. It's not that. Is it yeah. a sci-fi film? It is. Okay. Is it a sci-fi horror film? It is not. Has it got Tom Cruise in it? It does not, no. This isn't a question, but how many questions have we got left? Um, that was question number eight. All right. Has it been adapted from anything, or is it an original film? Uh, yes, or no. What? Okay, has it been adapted from anything, <laughs> is the question. Yeah, that's... Okay. Which of those... Well, okay. Yes, it sort of is an adaptation of something, but it is also an original film. I've got a film in my head just now. I've got one in my head at the moment. Is it set on Earth? Yes. Has it got a romantic plot slash subplot? No. Oh. Mm. Is it... Mm, what question do I want to ask? 
has <laughs> when when the film was released, were any of the main actors household names? No. Hmm. That was question number twelve. So you're quickly using them all up now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Has the has the director and actors worked together since then? Yes. Right. I. What is the film set in South Africa? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can have a guess if you know. It's District Nine. It's District Nine. Yes. Well done. See, I was going to go with Chronicle from that last question. But yeah, District 9. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Although, would you say that's part of a franchise? I guess not, because it isn't no, yet. Yeah. So I was, I was thinking, before I asked where it was set, I was thinking District 9 or Ex Machina. Mm, I was thinking yeah. Distant Bureau when it talks about adaptations. Yeah, well the thing is, because it, it, it's an adaptation of Neil Blomkamp's short film. He made a short film and then made a... Long a film. Proper feature film yeah or a long film so it kind of is but then it's also an original because it's not based on a book or a comic or anything like that yeah, so i didn't really know how to answer that question hands. yeah but um there you go we steve win. you get a point this week yes 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 yeah. can't, can't wait for next week <laughs> uh on to the news i uh, will kick off with a bit of trailer related news um and and Star Wars has got another new trailer, this time for the the Asian-Chinese market. So it's not, not too much to focus on the content of the the, the trailer. I mean, there, there there are differences, a few different scenes different in the that this new trailer than there is in the trailer or trailers that have been released that we've seen in the cinema or, or whatever. But it's, it's more just to, to look at how big the the Chinese film market has become that the fact that they're getting their own trailers released now. Yeah. They, I mean, you always see those, um, alternate like posters that go out in Asia and, and China specifically that just completely change the look of a film. Have you guys seen the one for Iron Man? I think that's the most yeah. famous one. Um, that was, that was the first, that was kind of the first one. Was it Iron Man three? Was that the Iron Man three? That, I think that, that was, was the, kind of... the first extra scene. Yeah. yeah, I think that was the first kind of film that made everyone sit up and think the Chinese market's actually huge now for films. It is, it is, yeah. And, then, you know, a lot of the international revenue that comes back on films is from the Chinese market. We're, I'm not really sure how it works over there, though. Uh, you know, like, because um, in Korea, for example, the cinemas are only allowed to show non-Korean films for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So m- there's a lot of emphasis on developing their own... Uh, sort of film industry but china i have no idea what ha- what goes on there well i, don't know if there's I mean rules or if they, i mean without sort of meaning to sound entirely racist <laughs> when my my father-in-law is cantonese so he goes to hong kong every year and he always brings back a fuckload of bootleg films you know it just comes back with cds of it used to be vcd so i don't really know what the market is actually like there or whether people just rely mainly on pirated movies but they do make a lot of money, um, Hollywood, out in, there, in there's China. There's a these growing days. middle class, and yeah. there's more. I think there's more acceptance of their role in the rest of the world and the rest of the world's role in China. It's becoming less insular mm. in 
for yeah, the Western society's got the things that they want to have, and therefore they have the money that we want to have. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes it's sense. Them. Mm, mm. But as far as um, them changing the trailer specifically for a sort of Chinese market, it kind of makes sense. Also, you know, if they're going to target the film at a different type of audience, then. Well, the, yeah. I mean, the tone, the, the tone of the trailer isn't any different. It's just um, got a couple of different scenes in it. Well, there is still censorship that goes on, isn't there, in the um, Chinese sort of releases of of American and English films, English language films. They still censor bits, still chop bits out of it. So maybe something that was in the American trailer or the the sort of trailer in the English language was was offensive in some way to their their censorship rules or, and they've you know or it's possible just to look what we're doing for you it's a yeah it's signaling to say we recognize that you're an important market here's a treat yeah possibly yeah yeah it, it could be point. commercially driven and not creatively driven mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good point I hadn't, I hadn't really considered that but it's possible it's, entirely it's like possible the, the Doctor in Age of Ultron, she was just there to have... Oh, is it Korean? A Korean actress in there. I think she was Korean, yeah. It's just, look, here's a thing. You should go and see it now. And it works, obviously, because they make, as they keep saying, so much money out there. Yeah. They're doing something, right? And the other bit of trailer-related news is we've seen, or have released this week, the first trailer for arguably the biggest video game to movie adaptation where uh, until football manager gets its own movie uh, <laughs> where um, we've had the trailer for Warcraft released it looks really shit as well it just looks like generic fantasy movie, like like low rent or Lord of the Rings mm. yeah yeah I mean it, it's <laughs> video game adaptations just they don't do well anyway as a general rule of thumb this possibly might do slightly better because of the legions of fans, or they might just see it and just boycott it because it's not their game, or they might just be too busy stuck to their computer screen still. You never know. It's, it's uh, taken a long time to get anything out. I mean, the, we didn't have any posters until like last month. Mm. No, that, that showed characters. No trailer until how many months before the film comes out? Is it summer next year? But yeah, uh, the, the, yes, the, yeah, it's been in development for a long time, and there's been nothing coming out for a long time. And it's possible that the studio weren't quite as sure about it because Marvel pump out loads of stuff for their films. Other companies pump out loads of stuff for their films, and this one, which is is it a Universal picture? Uh, it like? looks like a Universal film. I'm not sure if it actually is. I'll double check that though. Uh, yeah, it is Universal Studios though. Right. There you go. What was their last really big thing that they promoted and promoted? What would Universal be? Have they, have they got the Frankenstein film coming out soon? Is that a Universal one? Or has someone else taken that off them? There we go. The film looks... was announced in 2006 as a project partnership between Legendary Pictures and the game's developer. The film is set to be released by Universal Pictures in June. So, Universal's last big films. Hmm, let's have a look. Uh, Jurassic oh, World Jurassic appears to World. have done quite well for them. <laughs> yeah, I think they would have had loads of stuff out for that. And never heard, never so heard of it. The, the Fast and Furious ones, loads of mm-hmm. stuff out for that. Minions but, as well. uh, So yeah, it's not like as a studio, 
they're averse to promoting things. They just haven't done so with this. Their 24th highest grossing film was Liar Liar. Is that right? Yes. What's beaten it? Um, above, above that was Pitch Perfect 2. Gladiator. Okay, well that's kind of expected. That was a quite a... Um... Gladiator was their 22nd film. highest grossing film. So Are these just completion at all? Um, I don't know. I'm on Wikipedia, so it could be anything. Someone could have made it up. Twister at 12. Twister did more than King Kong. But less than Bruce Almighty. Less than Bruce Almighty. <laughs> yeah, but more than King Kong was mega expensive. Wasn't that Peter Jackson's massive, like, other than yeah, Lord of the Rings? He's massive. Yeah. It was all right, it, I thought. No, it, there's like a massive error in the middle that was just wandering through jungles and fighting things, then more jungles and more things. It was exhausting <laughs> and boring. And giant. Monkeys shouldn't be boring. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they Think very rarely punch. are, from my experience. Like, Sucker Punch has everything you want in a film, and it was boring. It had more than everything you'd want in a film, Sucker Punch. Well, yes, like, we could have done without the rapey bits. But, yeah, yeah. super. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on to the next item on the news agenda, and that is the BIFA have released their nominations um for, for their awards the, Bi- awards the biffers yeah so just looking through the list you've got best british independent film 45 years ex machina the lobster and macbeth and amy and amy. amy yeah i've been nominated um i've only seen two of those but i really want to see the lobster i've heard the lobster is really good i've heard um, i've heard good things but also polarizing things of some people have, some people just don't seem to get it uh, well, it looks that sort of film. Yeah, yeah, it looks very. Um, I want to say quirky, but at the same time pretentious. Yeah. Um, but from the people I know and I would generally trust their opinion, they've, they've all told me it's hilarious and I love it. So I, I really do want to see it, but it doesn't seem to have been um, that widely distributed. But also, Macbeth, Ex Machina are the other two that I've seen. Have you guys seen any of the others that were nominated? Uh, I watched Ex Machina on a plane. Yeah. And because it was on a plane, it had all the the naughty bits blurred out, which mm-hmm. is good because I was sitting next to a 12 year old girl. Oh. Yeah, that would have been very awkward. It was very awkward in the, anyway. But yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't like Ex Machina as much as everyone else has done. It was a strange really? film. Yeah. I, I thought it was good. I, I enjoyed it. It was um a bit sort of cerebral, but. That was good. It was it was good to get something different. And I like Oscar Isaac. I think he's a very good actor, and he was very very entertaining in that film. Amy, though, I didn't see, uh, unfortunately. Um, it did get a screen in at my local Cineworld, unbelievably, the one that has like five screens, and they're all taken up with minion screenings and Inside Out still showing and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I missed it, but. I think Carol saw it for us and reviewed it on the website. She was a big fan. I mean, I've, I've not What's seen it, it about? but then... It's about Amy Winehouse. Um, oh, right. Documentary. Yeah, that was kind of like a tribute to her more than a... I mean, I've, I've, not, I've not seen it. I mean, we were discussing the Ronaldo documentary that's made by the same people, some of the same people involved mm-hmm. in the Amy documentary. I didn't see the Amy one as well received as thing because she just doesn't interest me as a as a person or a... Uh, uh, whatever she's just I mean obviously she's fantastically talented 
musician, mm-hmm. but just the the person and her story just doesn't interest me. Um, but you know, it's kind of it's it's been nominated now. There's nothing we can do about that, whether we've seen it or not. And also, yeah, alongside Macbeth, which we had a very mixed reaction to on the podcast, from what I remember. Did you see it in the end, Steve? Did you see Macbeth? Yeah, you did. And you can remember being on here with Escobar Walker and Paul Field. Yeah, we both hated it. Yeah, it was, it, it was rubbish. I liked it though. I still like it. The more I thought about it afterwards, and after trying to explain it to to Escobar and to Paul. Which is a challenge the, in itself. <laughs> the more I, I, I did, still still like it. Did you um, see Macbeth, Brian, or did you avoid it? No, it's I did it at school, and that's me done my Macbeth. <laughs> okay, yeah. So th- those are the films that've been nominated for best best British film, best British independent film. We've also got best director, and again we've got um, Asif Kapadia. I think that's how you pronounce his name for, for is, Amy. It is now. <laughs> yeah, Alex Garland for Ex Machina. Yorgos Lanthimos for The Lobster, Justin Kurzel for Macbeth, and Andrew Haig for 45 Years. So exactly the same films that have been nominated for Best Best Picture. Hey, boring. <laughs> yeah, no surprise nominations in there. Uh, Best Actress, Marion Cotillard for Macbeth, Carrie Mulligan for Suffragette. Now, I really enjoyed her performance in Suffragette. I think she's a very good actress anyway. Um, so I'm pleased to see that she's she's got a nomination for that, and it's broken up that... that um, Monopoly by those other those five films uh, for something. Charlotte Rampling for Forty Five Years, Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn, which came out this weekend, uh, and Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl. That's not out yet, is it? No, they're all fairly good. new films, you know. James was always a big fan of Marion Cotillard. So have you you guys seen her in much other than Dark Knight Rises? No, to be honest, I've not seen her in. She's in, in Inception, isn't she? She's his <laughs> yeah. wife. Yep. Because if one thing Christopher Nolan likes is that women are mental and the cause of all problems. <laughs> that does seem to be a pattern. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I hope um, Carrie Mulligan gets it. I think she she deserves it. Um, but then if we move on to Best Actor, we've got Tom Courtney for, for 45 years. Uh, not that Tom Courtney. We've got Colin Farrell for The Lobster. Michael Fassbender for Macbeth, Tom Hardy for Legend. For which, for which role? For which role? Which yeah, role? we went through this. Yeah, I annoyed one, everyone with that. It's... One, one nomination for both. My, my thing with Tom Hardy and Legend, yeah, is the one where he's got the glasses on. He looks like Peter Hanrahanrahan. <laughs> he looks like Chris Morris. So you can just imagine it's a, the day-to-day film where they go off and start. Fucking putting the boot into people. Does that improve it? Possibly. Does that make? Yeah, maybe. Um, the other nominations: Tom Hiddleston for High Rise, uh, which is Ben Wheatley's new film, which also isn't out yet, but it was shown at the London Film Festival. I really like Ben Wheatley. He's one of Did my favourite. Did they do these nominations like in the last month? Like, oh shit, we've got awards. We've got to do the nominations now. <laughs> uh, 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 this is out just yeah. now. We'll do that. Seems a little bit like that. But yeah, so uh, best support i mean let's have a look a quick look at who's been nominated olivia coleman for the lobster for best support actress you've got brendan gleason in suffragette and Donald gleason for brooklyn some interesting picks there sean harris though for macbeth which is surprising i didn't think he'd get nominated for his role but there you go yeah i mean we won't go through every single nomination because there's loads of them but it's interesting I, we, you know if you... 
for yep. the, the most promising newcomer, Agnes Dean. I thought she'd been around for a while. Agnes Dean. I don't think I know her name off the top of my head. Name, what else has she been in? The name rings a bell. Yeah. Or is she a model turned actress? I think she's a model. Or like TV actress. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't sound familiar to me. Yeah, yeah. stood out as a name that I actually knew in the newcomers and I don't know any other ones. Oh. <laughs> she was in Clash of the Titans. That was that was awful. It was Aphrodite. And she was in the Pusher remake as well. I haven't, I've avoided that because I quite like the original. Yeah, so she's been in a few things. So you're right, technically not a newcomer. Clash of the Titans was released five years ago. Jesus Christ, five years ago. And uh, really? Room is up for best international independent film, which has it got some really good ratings. I've, I've not seen it. I've read the book, but I've not seen mm. it. That's not The Room. It's not The Room. No, it's about yeah. a woman who gets kept in a room and, and raped until she had a five-year-old kid. Anyway, the final bit of news is that uh, Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, has passed away over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't have a huge like uh, career in in film, in, in, particularly in front of the, the camera. Um, in fact, when he uh, finished Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he went on to do another film. There was one other film that he did shortly afterwards, uh, and then decided he was going to stop. He didn't. He didn't enjoy it. And I don't think he was actually back in front of the camera again until like ten years later or over ten years later. But he was still apparently a really nice guy. He was always open to talking to to everybody. Uh, he went to all the conventions and and was friendly. Signed autographs. Um, so it is a it is a shame that that he's died. And he was he was relatively um, young. You know, was sixty eight. It's it doesn't seem that old these days for someone to peg it but um yeah he you know he i enjoyed texas chainsaw massacre when i first saw it in the same way you can well in the only way that it's possible to enjoy texas chainsaw and then it utterly creeped me out have you guys seen texas chainsaw massacre the original yeah i think probably everyone has haven't they no i'm i'm really not a horror person i don't do horror okay. don't do gore don't, right, well, yeah, then you've probably done well to avoid Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's pretty gory and it's very horrible. But it, he, he's brilliant in it as Leatherface. He's uh, just so menacing, so creepy. Some of the, it's even just like the smallest actions that he does, like slamming the door, is fucked up. It is completely, uh, it is horrific, that film. It's horrific. And Leatherface is part of that. So, you know, he he's, he's Gunnar Hansen is kind of like, an icon of, of horror and so yeah it's a shame to that that he's passed away time now for what we've been watching when we take a look at what we've seen in the last week that isn't necessarily a new release i mean why don't you start us off in this bit Okay, I watched a film called Hudson Hawk for the first time. I'd never seen Hudson Hawk before. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a 1991 comedy slash crime capery type heist film thing. Uh, it stars Bruce Willis as a cat burglar who's uh, just got out of prison. Uh, but before he's through the gate, his probation officer, uh, who is also his friend, is trying to set him up with a new job. 
So he has to go and steal various inventions and art pieces that were designed by Leonardo da Vinci, who has hidden in these these art things some secret diamonds that can be put together and used to power a machine that turns lead into gold. I think that's stupid. It is that's amazing. It is the most one of the most stupid films I've ever seen. It's directed by Michael Lehman, who uh, has since gone on to work on shows like Dexter and American Horror Story and Californication and Nurse Jackie and stuff like that. But in Hoods and Hawk, Bruce Willis is credited as the story writer on the film. So everything that's wrong with this film, and there are a lot of things that are wrong with it, I'm going to blame Bruce Willis for. Sweet Jesus, it's fucking horrendous. It's a shambles of a film. It's terrible. I'm not exaggerating. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. The tone is all over the place. I mean, you've heard this before, right? How comedy is supposed to work best when it's normal people in crazy situations. You know, like a sitcom. They're normal, everyday people uh, who just happen to be involved in a slightly absurd situation. That's where the laughs are derived from. Or crazy folk in normal situations. Or crazy folk in normal situations, yeah. something rough against something smooth. Precisely. Hudson Hawk is an utterly fucking stupid premise with an inept script. It's got an over-the-top zany character with over-the-top zany support characters performing kooky skits and like nonsensical routines on top of that with a completely absurd story that doesn't make any sense. So it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. It is. It is basically a Looney Tunes cartoon. There's far too much going on for it to be funny as well, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm sure they had a blast when they were filming some of these scenes. They look like uh, they could have been quite fun. There's a big song and a dance number that Bruce Willis and uh, Danny Aiello perform together as they're robbing a museum. And you can tell Willis is loving it, he's enjoying it. He doesn't have to be tough guy McLean for, for once. He doesn't have to be that, that tough guy for for this film. Um, and, you know, it comes around the same time where he was doing those kind of comedies, like Look Who's Talking and stuff like that. But it's just so cringeworthy to watch. I can't explain how horrible it is to sit through. I, I mean, I had to, I feel really bad for everyone. In it, I just feel really bad for them because you know they thought they were making a great little funny crime caper, but it's just so bad. Richard E. Grant plays the bad guy, and he is like something straight out of Looney Tunes or like Cow and Chicken or something like that. It just doesn't, nothing fits together. Everyone is in a different, different kind of thing. It's lots of ideas, and everyone's really enjoying themselves, but in the end, it's just like a jizz towel because it's just full of everyone who's enjoyed themselves, but you don't want to be near the jizz towel. It's it's not it's not enjoyable. It's not nothing to look at. It's guilt ridden. It's just a film that it doesn't have a single funny moment in its entire one hundred minute runtime. And yeah, it's as, quite possibly one of the worst I've ever seen. Is as bad as watching Bruce Willis on the one show. Oh, well, that was quite cringy. But that was mainly because of the presenter trying to tell him that. Oh, I really loved Die Hard Four. It was one of the best action it, films I've seen. Or five. Everyone at home. Yeah. After this finishes, go to YouTube and type in Bruce Willis, one show, weekly wipe, and it absolutely eviscerates it about <laughs> what a terrible film it is. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 a bit on a par with those in terms of watching Bruce Willis, because he's a massive dick anyway. <laughs> well, he is a massive dick. Nobody says no to him. He got kicked off of the Expendables franchise because he just kept asking for more and more money, and when he was on 
set he was acting like a diva. So they just got rid of him and replaced him with Harrison Ford. Nobody cares. Harrison Ford's a nicer bloke than Bruce Willis. I think it's the first time we've heard the phrase jizz towel be used on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, now I know you're back at uni now and you're using all the, <laughs> the cool new terms. Yeah, I'm down with all the kids. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on to films and things. And Brian, what have you seen this week? I watched... It's an old thing. It's early Steven Spielberg. And it's called Murder by the Book. Because it's a murder mystery, don't want to give too much away. But it starts, like, the first 20 minutes of it is about these two partners in a creative writing team. And they have differences about the direction that their things should go in. And it ends in death. And they bring in this old, battered, wizened detective who pokes around and asks all these can, questions. Can I just stop you there? Is this going to end with It's Columbo? Yeah, I didn't watch it. I just found a thing on... <laughs> How long could we get it before we twigs? No, I actually watched it. <laughs> I watched yeah, Pop. Uh... It's been on my list for ages. But Hang on, Spielberg, uh, Spielberg did a Columbo? Yeah, I think it's like the second episode of Columbo. Brilliant. Jesus. Wow, that's that's like that's like <laughs> the equivalent of like your, your UK originating film star like doing two episodes of The Bill before going on to massive things. <laughs> yeah, this is what. So I'm I'm hoping you actually did sit down and watch this. No, I sat down on IMDb and thought, what's a thing I can spin out for a minute before I wouldn't work. <laughs> Uh, did I steal your catchphrase as well? Then you could you could have used it. You could have said it's Columbo. It's Columbo. Um, I was running it. Did they have willies. Did I, say I that? didn't watch it. No. What I did watch though was King of Kong, about ah. the battle for the Donkey Kong world record, and it's been on my list for ages. And we're talking about the worst characters in documentaries, which is where I remember the guy from Amy and the the baddie in that Billy Mitchell. Yeah, he's such a cowardly prick, <laughs> and and he's a cheating bastard as well because there's no way he got over a million. He just submitted a videotape that he had in storage, and it it's all blurry and the score changes because it's a VHS. Mm. I, it just kind I of crackles, it, it doesn't it? Yeah, I watched it not knowing how it ended or who won, but it follows two main players, and then there's a lackey introduced. And Steve Sanders, Billy Mitchell's lackey. Like he's got an actual proper job. He's a proper lawyer, but he's this guy's Donkey Kong Igor. He's the Igor to <laughs> Billy Mitchell's Frankenstein. I thought, what have you done with your life, Steve Sanders, that that's what you're doing? But it makes something that should, that on the face of it sounds dull and weird about men whose hobby and whose ambition is to get the world record score in Donkey Kong. It makes it really engaging, and it makes a drama out of it. I'd, it's only like an hour and twenty, so I'd recommend it to everyone. It's it is really good. It's um, you're right though. Well, it kind of hinges is the fact that Steve Weeby is. It just doesn't. He's lovely. Steve Weeby is lovely. A... <laughs> he is very nice, but he just keeps getting dicked on, and that's what kind of makes it makes you keep watching because you just want him to stand up to Billy Mitchell and really just prove himself. It's a strange, it's a sports movie, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's a sports film, because you've got the guy and he's got to overcome this 
adversity and there's an evil villain who's part of the plot. It's just fantastic. It's a great story. Steve Weeby is the Mighty Ducks. Whoever is the, the other team in the Mighty Ducks are. Steve, that's your bag, I think. Mighty Ducks is indeed my bag. So who are what the, the who called? what are the bad boys team or the bad team? Well the called? bad the bad team in the in I can't remember in the first one. In the second one it was the Icelandic national team. Oh yeah, you're right. And in the third one it was the the older the year above them at college uh, at the school they went to and got scholarships at like they were the sophomores and whatever's above that no they were fresh oh, whatever like American goes, schools were goes they, freshman they, sophomore junior senior they they were year ten and the year elevens were the enemy basically the the lower six yeah lower six you know Just in all the um, American and British listeners yeah you know in King of Kong they. A lot of people said, well, you know, you've just made Billy Mitchell look like this dickhead. Um, the, the, there's co-directors, I think, isn't there, on King of Kong? They both came out and said, no, we actually really had to work very hard to find usable stuff with Billy Mitchell. Because he's even more of a dickhead than, than he comes across in the film. And he had to edit stuff out to make him look nicer. There's an amazing bit at the end where Steve Sanders, who's Billy's lackey, has been hanging out with Steve Wiebe and Steve Wiebe's wife and kids, and he's saying what a great guy he is, and he's, you know, he's being passive aggressive and omitting <laughs> the fact that Billy Mitchell's a dick, and you can see it in Billy Mitchell's eyes, and I can't tell if it wounds him to the core <laughs> or if he doesn't care. Hmm, it's it's it is it, oh, you, yeah. People have just got to watch it to form their own opinion, I think, because it's it could. There's a lot about him that is open to interpretation, I think. Because he kind of builds himself as this self-made man who's living the American dream and wears ridiculous ties to suggest that. But he... He also decided that I want to look like Hans Gruber at college. (laughs) But it's a great documentary. I I really enjoyed it as well. It's great when new people discover it because it's always fun to hear people's reaction to it again. (laughs) Uh, I watched this week an Australian horror film called Housebound, which is uh, it's about a, a girl who gets uh, arrested for committing kind of petty crimes, petty thefts, um, and gets her punishment is being under house arrest, and she has to go back to her, her parents' house or her mum and her stepdad's house, who she has a... Uh, a strange relationship with and the house is believed to have been haunted although nothing major went on when she was a kid there was always noises and suggestions of things looming behind them and everything it and it, it develops from there it it starts off really well once you know once she gets under house arrest and she's committed to this house for for the time you know it start it's quite eerie there's builds up the suspense quite well there's a few few scares and then it kind of changes tone from a without spoiling it for anyone who does watch it because it is it is very well received but i just didn't get on with it but it is it is very highly rated wherever you look it does get highly rated so i don't want to kind of spoil it for too many people because there probably are a lot of people who would like it but it kind of changes tack from uh kind of ghost film to 
not quite a slasher, but that kind of thing. The, the kind of ghost element of it is removed and replaced by a different kind of. It's you know more like a, um, a, there's, a there's a killer rather than a ghost, and, and from then on, that's when the film kind of drops for me. It just doesn't, it it doesn't keep its suspense or its momentum or its what was so good about it in the first probably not even half probably around third it does my head in when films do that i was watching sunshine so this is a really good space sci-fi football <laughs> wait but yeah, i was so... watching that <laughs> yeah, yeah so uh... it kind of it kind of changes tack from from a ghost film to a kind of slasher killer film and it and it and it loses something for me then um it just doesn't work from that point onwards. It doesn't, you know, what what had the potential to be kind of a good horror, kind of spooky film. Um, I mean, the only other Australian horror film I've seen was probably The Babadook, which was actually really good. And, and this wasn't going to be at that level for me, but it, it was going to be a, a good kind of ghost film. And then it just swerved to this different path and and fell really flat for me. It's actually a New Zealand film, not Australian. I've just seen that, but. They're mm. all the same to me, anyway. From that part of the world. Uh, I've lost did you watch the, the Did you watch these final hours this year? I think you did, didn't you? I can't remember. The post-apocalyptic thing or pre-post-apocalyptic? Yes, yes, yeah, I did, yeah. That was Australian. Yeah, um, that that was fantastic. But anyway, yes, yeah, this um, it also Wolf Creek as well. Just to throw that one in yeah. there, Wolf Creek's a good horror film. Um, Australian. Yeah, this so this one it's got. You know, there's there's a fair bit. It's not comedy, but you know, there's, the dialogue is meant to be quite funny in places, and it is in places. In some places, the jokes fall quite flat, but in some places, it is actually, you know, quite funny. But it just, yeah, the way the film turns, it just lost something for me then. Um, but like I said, it is very highly rated. I mean, on Netflix, it had something like four and a half stars on. Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 96% out of 23 um, critic reviews and average rating 7.7. So it is it is liked. People probably should go and see it, go and watch it, because they might well get something out of it, but it just wasn't for me. Okay. That's part two. It is. I'm just going to run to the lavatory quickly. Okay. I think we should keep this in so everyone else who is thinking that they need a loo break can go without missing this, just in case they don't want to take the phone out of their pocket and pause it. So people think there's going to be an extra bit of funny stuff, and it's not. It's just us sitting around waiting for Steve to get back from the lab. But there'll be something happening in a minute. Is there anything else exciting happening? I don't think so. Unless people want to suggest, like, if you have you got any suggestions for what film we should do a, a watch along with next? Um, what's on my? Sh- uh, depends. If you could do hot fuzz. I've just looked at myself. There's hot fuzz there. Yeah, hot fuzz would be quite good. I'm back. Oh, Steve, that fucking stinks. <laughs> Uh, 
to kick off the final part of the podcast, the new release section, Owen is going to take a look at one or two new films he's seen this week, and that is He Names Me Malala. Yeah, it's directed. It's a documentary that's directed by um, the award-winning, won an Academy Award, uh, Davis Guggenheim. And uh, it's only short. It's about an 88-minute long documentary. It looks at the... Um, uh, 17-year-old uh, Pakistani female activist Malala Yousafzai. I, don't, I really don't know how to pronounce her surname. They said it a few times in the film and I just missed it. But, um, yeah, she was... You probably might have heard of her name because she... Wait, well, I could have pronounced it. You might have heard of Malala because she was shot in the head at near point-blank range for speaking out against the Taliban. And uh, because she believes that everyone deserves the right to have access to education, uh, which of in her hometown of Swat in uh, Pakistan is forbidden. So she won the uh, Nobel Peace Prize last year, becoming the youngest person ever to win it. Uh, she was nominated for it the year before as well for her work. Um which I think is when I first heard about her because she was interviewed on the radio. Uh, she lives in Birmingham. Uh, no, in the UK, not Birmingham, Alabama. And I was driving in the car to work one morning and she, she would just sort of, they, it was local radio, but then they were talking about a national story and then they played some interview clips with, with Malala. And I genuinely remember getting a bit emotional listening to her speak because... She was just talking about recovering from the coma after she'd been shot and about how she was not going to let that stop her from campaigning for the causes she believes in. And it was a really, I mean, powerful speech. There's a clip of her at the end of this documentary delivering a speech that is also sort of equally powerful. It's just hugely emotional and impressive. I mean, I couldn't believe it was this 17-year-old saying this these things and the way that she was she was, um, she was younger than that when she was shot wasn't she she was much younger well, yeah much, much, much like 13 yeah yeah exactly um and i think she was 16 when she was first nominated for the peace prize and then 17 when she actually won it um i think she's eight she might be 18 though 18 or 19 but i can't imagine like having the 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 cojones that she had to come up and, and speak about these sort of things where she was and to then like be told if you step foot back in Pakistan you and your entire family are going to be killed and yet she carries on sort of speaking in public about the, the things that are going on back back home for her and what she believes in and visiting all these places it's just incredible she's incredible um the problem with he named me Malala is what the documentary really tries to do is uh, it wants to show Malala the way that she is at home. So you get to see her with a family, with the brothers, with a mother, especially with her dad, who she has a very close relationship to and, and who was a huge influence on her, her life and for, for getting her to say the things that she did and all that kind of thing, or allowing her to say the things that she wanted to say, if I, I should, should say. Um, um, whilst it also tries to then balance that with her travelling around the world, speaking to presidents, speaking to royalty, and not just speaking to them, actually, I mean, but really, like, hard-pressing of the, these... She went to visit Good Luck Jonathan in Nigeria and sort of, to his face, demanded he did something to save the girls that were stolen out there. 
She, I mean, having the fucking balls to do that. She's just an incredible person. I keep saying it, but it's true. She, she's just incredible. Unfortunately, um, because the documentary is like neither one thing nor the other, it, it is a bit of a mess. It's it's a bit inconsistent, and um, it, it kind of pains me to say that. But it can't it can't decide what he wants to be, because you get to see the mundanity of life for a teenage girl who um, just wants you know she has too much homework. She can't come and speak at a major conference because she's doing her GCSEs, and you know you get scenes of her like. Um, all that kind of stuff, then, you know, seeing her at school. And then it's mixed with a scene straight after that of her recounting being oppressed in Pakistan. And then it's straight to a scene of her looking up pictures of Roger Federer on Google Images because she kind of fancies him. And then it goes to her talking about how her dad's life was threatened because he spoke out. And it just keeps jumping between one thing and the other and one thing and the other. And it gives it this very uneven pace. And it it should work in that juxtaposition of... Um, normality and the incredible things that she's doing, but it just it it doesn't. It's it breaks the pace too frequently. Um, so you know, it want, you you see that she's a normal person, which is great, but then you know at the same time she's more than just a normal person in the sense that the stuff that she's doing, the things that she's capable of, not everybody can do. Not everybody can do the things that that she can, and. Um, whether people have the capability to do that or not is, is slightly different. And, you know, maybe she was afforded some kind of, um, not privileges, that's the wrong word, but she she had connections that she could use, like she was part of a BBC um, blog at the time. She was anonymised, but she was the, the person who was speaking to the BBC about what was going on in Pakistan and in her little village and her school and how... The, the schools were being blown up by the Taliban who'd taken over her village and it, it, they were blowing up village, uh, villages and schools all over the country and she was the person who was, was giving this information to the BBC about what was going on and then she became this public speaker and she was able to get it but what were you going to say Brian? That when she was, they started that when she was what? 12, 13, 12 I think 14. Yeah. And you, you have, kids can't do that mm. You have to be an exceptional person to even begin to get those sorts of connections. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it's it's it, it, I mean she she is just a hugely impressive woman and person and human being, and she's rightfully won the the Nobel Peace Prize because she 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 deserves like this worldwide recognition. The documentary does take a tiny little peek at some of the opinions of certain demographics of people in Pakistan about what they think of Malala. I'm trying to be very careful in how I phrase this and don't spoil it, but, you know, people, there are some people who believe that she was basically a character who was made by her dad, and her dad wrote the book that made her famous. And it was her dad who was pushing her to do these things. And it was her dad who put her in danger by making her speak out about the, the way the Taliban treated children, women, girls. Um, and that led to them storming her school and shooting her and her friends. Um, and they just think that she's... Yeah, I'm not going to... Do... I don't think I should go any further down that avenue. It's not very logical it just doesn't make any sense when when you think about it but the 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 fact is she's still this person who's who's campaigning who's an activist who's 
flying around the world, speaking to Obama, speaking, she's spoken to the Queen, she's spoken to, like, the good of Jonathan, she's been everywhere, doing her best at 17 years old, and 18 years old now, to right the wrongs in the world, whilst also then trying to be a normal, a normal girl. It's incredible. But the, it's a shame the documentary... I mean, I've learned more about her than I knew going in. So, to give it some credit, it's done a job. It's being shown in schools. I think it's been, is it made for free to schools to show? Or it's been, you know, a very um, sort of reasonable price for for schools to just buy it in to show to all their kids or something. Um, and I can understand why it's important. And I'm sure it'll be inspirational for a lot of young, not just girls, but young boys, young children. Um but it just felt like the documentary itself could have been just a, a bit more consistent, a bit more insightful, perhaps, and balanced things out just a, a little bit more. But, you know, it was fine. It was OK. I'm glad I've seen it. Um, but it, 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 as a documentary, it's I've seen better, which is a shame because I think she, she deserves like... A, an absolutely amazing documentary made about her life. Maybe she'll get that when she's a bit older. You never know. Okay. Uh, Brian, you have seen Kill Your Friends this week. Yeah, it was... I read the book ages ago. My brother lent it to me. He said, oh, it's really good. It's all right. Um, <laughs> before I start, if you... Think if you find the words spastic, cunt, fucking, and AIDS hilarious, this is the film for you. It's a, it's a bit like Wolf of Wall Street, but without any of the charm or any sympathy you might have for the main character. And there's not a lot of that going about in Wolf of Wall Street. It's just all. To say. <laughs> it's it's uh, mid late nineties. And it's about uh, Stelco, this Nicholas Holt, who executive produces, plays this music exec. And he's like mid-ranking. He wants to be top-ranking. It's all about his climbing up to the top, which he does through cheatery, murder, and just being a dick. I'll compare it to Wolf of Wall Street because it's both about horrible people in business doing horrible things. But at least Wolf of Wall Street gives you like a character journey where Jordan starts off at the bottom, gets to the top, goes to the bottom again, finds his way back up again. Where Stelcott, call him Nicholas Holt. He starts <laughs> off low down, but an arsehole. And through no character change or doing nothing different, having no moment of discovery, he just becomes an arsehole who gets a bit more money. It's... It's a film about horrible people doing horrible things and a lot of the things that it should have going for it, it does second best to other things. If you want to see a film about horrible business people, watch Wolf of Wall Street. It's done better. It's more stylish. Um, Kill Your Friends has one of these bits where there's a scene and something outrageous happens and then it cut back to a minute ago because oh, that was just what he imagined in his head which is like what they did with Jordan driving home from the country club in Wolf of Wall Street, which mm-hmm. is done much funnier. Um, there's no subtlety in Kill Your Friends at all. The one bit where 
Nicholas Holt has a moment of, oh, it's all gone to shit. Oh, I'm at the the absolute bottom. Everything's gone badly. The soundtrack is Karma Police. And then in case you missed it, they have the lyrics on. And in case you missed that, they cut in bits from the video of the fat man running towards the car on fire. Give the audience a little bit of credit, please. So as far as the business thing, it's not as good. The other thing the book has going for it is that it's super sweary. But it's not like the thick of it where it's creative sweary. It's just we use all the words all at once and it'll be funny. Um, like the thick of like it, you know, it's in, in the 90s. Yeah. Whereas the, the only bit that made me moderately smile is the fact that um, he buys this. Uh, hot, it's a crap techno dance album uh, track. So this is going to be big in the clubs and it's called Why Don't You Open Brackets Suck My Dick and it plays huge in a club on one night he goes yes I brought in the cure for cancer and then two months later turns out my cure for cancer was actually the cause of full blown AIDS and like that that was the funniest bit in the film and it wasn't that funny because there's no wit or imagination in it there's a is it, is it actually trying to be a comedy then is it trying to be a comedy in the same way wolf of wall street is a comedy i would say that's a comedy film or is it because i the comparisons i keep reading about um kill your friends they all compare it to american psycho which is kind of blackly comic in a certain kind of way yeah, but is in no way a comedy i don't think it's like a comedy as in ruffles lols and then his wig falls off i think it's in terms of you're meant to be on side these people and laughing it's not that you're laughing at them because you're meant to have some sort of sympathy because there's nothing to make you think that he's a the film doesn't go out of its way to make you think that he's a bad person the film just says here's what he is he's doing great at it it's i think it's meant to be moments of levity um like he Spoilers, he batters James Corden to death because James Corden doesn't realise that Paul Weller, Paul Weller, yes, he does write most of his own songs. And the bit where he stoves his head in with an award, I think that's meant to be funny. Possibly. Right. Mm. Um, I can't. Yeah. Look, oh, because then he pisses on him. Uh, oh, he pisses on him beforehand, which is probably meant to be funny. It's, it's a so- very odd one. There's a. It's also one where it's, it's full of white dudes. Uh, there's two black characters who begin being really aggressive and intimidating because they black and they street in it, and then one of them gets brain damage and he appears in a wheelchair afterwards. So that that's a little bit of humour for you because he's disabled, which is funny. I see. So essentially, and then you didn't enjoy this. You didn't enjoy kill your friends. Not massively. Um, Buzz Buzzfeed. No, Den of Geek. Den of Geek did a decent review of it, although they did point out that there are more pairs of tits in the film than there are lines of dialogue for the women. <laughs> it, it ends it ends with like a, a threesome, but you don't get to see... You get to see the beforehand and the afterwards, but none of the stuff in the middle because it's not a film about intimacy or vulnerability. What you do get to see, though, if someone get their throat slashed and then dismembered in a bathtub, they're quite keen to show you that bit. 
it's a horrible film about horrible people. That may well be your thing. It's not particularly my thing. And I don't think it does it very well. Um, there's a lot of like ticky box things. So you say, right, he's going to do drugs and I'll have a bit where it all slows down and it goes trippy and we've got after images because that's how you film a drug scene. Mm. The music is decent, but someone will, you'll own Shine Volume 4 at home, put that on. There's a, the final shot has got his indie, like he's got an intern and his intern's got a big park and he's got a bowl cut because it's 97 and he's indie kid. And then like two thirds way through the film, he has like a, a, a polo neck and he gets a sensible haircut. And it ends with him sitting at a desk and behind is a big billboard and it's a uh, new labour, new danger. So, oh, they're giving you a message. I thought, oh, fuck off. Mm. It wasn't yeah. particularly skillfully done, I don't think. And what it was doing wasn't particularly good, I don't think. I would, if you want to watch a film about bastards in business, Wolf of Wall Street, if you like swearing, think of it. If you want to see a film or film or read a book about a man who is a psychopath and does whatever he wants to get ahead, read Christy Mallory's own double entry by B.S. Johnson. Turned into a film in 2002 or something. And that's genuinely very funny. As funny as it can be about blowing up um, factories. It's better than this. Okay. And Owen, uh, finally, you've watched The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, going from one kind of comedy that's bombed on, on here to, to another. Um, yes, let's go to the uh, zombie apocalypse. Okay, before I start, have you guys both seen Zombieland? Yes. I watched the first five minutes and thought, but I do like zombie films, and then I turned it off. <laughs> no, Zom- Zombieland is is just brilliant. I, I really, I, I, yeah, I've I mean, I enjoyed that, it. But I, I don't, I, I have a block about zombies. I, I can't do them. I, I just, That's interesting. I just think Zombieland's great. It's got the, the best cameo I've seen in a film for a long time. And Woody Harrelson is brilliant. Yeah. 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 I agree. What's the, what's this block about then, Brian? It's any anything that's got like assimilation or taking what used to be a person and making them something mindless and different fucks me right up. When ah. I watched Star Trek First Contact, I had nightmares like for a week, and then every now and then I just ugh. I I I don't I don't like it. Wow, that's I, interesting. I read, I read a bit of The Girl with All the Gifts, which is a good book, but. After 80 pages, I went, nope, that's just <laughs> all of the buttons I can't do. It's a, it, have you heard of it? No. It's a, it's a book about a post-apocalyptic, post-zombie apocalyptic Britain, and there's a school for half-zombie children. And it's totally <laughs> point of view. One of these not-brain-dead zombie children. And that, that it pushed all of my nope buttons, because, <laughs> no fucks me right up oh okay i didn't realize that oh but i know you don't read the walking dead though i didn't know that i didn't realize that um, was that's partly because it's zombies and partly because once you read enough robert kirkman you've read all of robert kirkman because he only has so many <laughs> tricks yeah 
Let's see. They'll, okay. they'll go somewhere. It'll be safe. There'll be a danger. They'll leave. They'll go somewhere. It's safe. Rinse, repeat, 150 issues later. Yeah, that is The Walking Dead summed up in a sentence. But we're the um, real monsters. We are The Walking Dead. Get it? Um, <gasps> <laughs> oh, no, I do really like The Walking Dead. Uh, it's gone a bit silly lately. but It's gone mental, hasn't it? It's gone a bit crazy. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'll, I'll tell you later if you want when we're not on there, but I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, okay. Well, back back onto this film, Skate's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. I mean, I like zombies anyway, but um, tonally it is kind of similar to uh, Zombieland in that it's most definitely a comedy first and a horror or a zombie film miles behind the second okay it's kind of um odd as well i suppose when you think that the co-director uh, sorry the co-writer and the director um of uh, skates guide is is christopher landon who's written or directed almost all of the paranormal activity sequels which are about as opposite as two horror films can get from each other like zombie land and paranormal activity mm. you know they're totally completely separate and miles apart. So it's a bit strange that he's doing a film like this, um, I guess, in some ways. Um, although there are some pretty horrific scenes in Skate's Guide, to be fair. You know, just to pay homage to a lot of other zombie movies. So things that might have flown over Brian's head if he's if he's avoided the, the genre for a while. But it plays homage to, plays homage to things like um, Brain Dead, because there's a bit with him mowing zombies' heads. And there's a bit of Day of the Dead in there as well with the, you know, the Dr. Tongue zombie thing. And so, you know, and so on and so on. More like, I won't name them all, but there's lots of tributes to to films that have obviously inspired inspired in some way. Much like in Shaun of the Dead, there's lots of odes to other other zombie films and other horror films and all that kind of thing. Does it have um, a priest thing I kick off for the it, it doesn't, unfortunately. Oh, no. that's another mark against it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the scenes that are in it, they're kind I mean, it's a 15, it's not an 18, but they are pretty gruesome. There's lots of blood and guts and splatter and should please a certain, certain part of the crowd who are, who are there to see that kind of thing. But as I said, it's mostly a comedy film. So you've got Ty Sheridan, uh, who's from the tree of life, from mud, from Joe and soon to be Cyclops in the new X-Men film, X-Men Apocalypse. He's, uh, pretty much the cl- Closest the film comes to having it a one main central character uh, as it follows him and his, his pal, who, who's played by Logan Miller. They're both kind of geeky and uncool and they're in the scouts um, and they go on this camping trip and they try to ditch their mate who's even less cool than they are so that he can, can run off in the middle of the night, sneak back into town um, and go to a party, a secret party that's taking place. Um, and as they do so, they find the town is overrun with zombies and they make friends with the cocktail waitress from the local strip club and, uh, yeah, basically just avoid being eaten for 90 minutes. The first, like, 15 to 20 minutes of the film had me worried it would be really, really lame all the way through because it's it, it's just not funny and it's all those typical teenage jokes and... I mean, even so far as farting on someone else's face 
is a joke. So it's very <laughs> toilet humor. Yeah, it's aimed at a like 14, 15, 16 year old male. Very strictly aimed at one particular person. And save for a couple of like slight chuckles at the beginning. I mean, it actually the, most of the, the jokes at the beginning come from the, the scout leader, Rogers, who's played by David Koshner. I think that's his name. He's the whammy yeah. guy from Anchorman. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, uh, he's quite good in it. He's quite funny, and his scenes at the beginning are also kind of kind of humorous. But it it aside from his bits, it didn't start particularly well. It's a lot of setup and a lot of foreboding, I guess. Um, but it's it's not my kind of humor. Uh, but it steadily improved after that. I did find myself laughing along with it. Like more than a handful of occasions as well. I think Logan Miller and particularly um, Joey Morgan, who is the, the the sort of scout friend they have, who they try to ditch at the campsite, they get most of the laughs between them. They're, they're both very naturally funny um, actors, performers, and and the characters are kind of okay, and they have a few jokes, and it's it's alright. Then it, but it is absolutely full of like teenage toilet humour all the way through. Literally at one point. Uh, it is a toilet gag. And oh, yeah, I saw that in the trailer. Yeah, so... <laughs> but it kind of, like... I feel like I shouldn't be laughing at it. But I did, anyway. You know, because it's done quite well. It's Yes, it's immature. Um, and I know I'm, like, 15 years too old for it, but it's still... It still kind of made me laugh at it. It was, it was, it was kind of amusing. And there's also a couple of times that the zombies themselves made me laugh out loud. The things they do with them. So there's, t- there's two, well, one extended scene, but two different gags they do with uh, a trampoline. And again, it is very much toilet humour. But I kind of laughed and cringed at the same time at it, and I thought it, it was done quite well, shot quite well. Um, what will either push this up people's watch lists? or possibly have the adverse effect and put people off the film even more than the teenage humour, is the tits. And there's only one female character in the movie who doesn't have cleavage out or just go completely topless at some random point in the film. And that's because she's 90 years old. Everybody else has tits, cleavage. It's all hanging out, basically. Um, so that will either put a lot of people off, or I can like I know some people who will probably find that a reason to go and see it now. But you know, it's it's you think about who the film is made for. It makes sense, you know. They're trying to provide a service to the people they're trying to get money from. At, That's at the risk of sounding old, yeah. I'm surprised at what passes for a 15 nowadays. Like, I went to see Kingsman, and it's a 15. And it's the most violent thing I've ever seen in the cinema. Like, the church <laughs> scene is still a 15. I mm. don't know how. And zombies and decapitation and tits, still a 15. Still a 15. Oh, up, There's no drugs. Up, I don't think that. they do any drugs. They don't really do a lot of drinking either. And there's not a huge amount of swearing. So Is that what tips it in from 15 into 18 in Britain? <laughs> There's a lot of tick boxes, I think, yeah. I don't know whether it's just like you accumulate a lot of these tick boxes on a checklist and therefore, who knows? I know that with the the Wolverine, to get to 12A, there was no blood in it. Mm -hmm. That's why it's a film about a man who's got knives in his hands and he stabs people, but there's no blood in it to get it down to the rating they want. 
but Kingsman's full of blood and folk getting things stabbed through their necks. Yeah, and I mean, film the, same sort of thing. we mentioned mentioned them already on the podcast, but the Expendables films. First one was was the first one an eighteen or a fifteen. Second one was a twelve or twelve A, and the third one was a twelve. That's like Taken as well, isn't it? First one yeah. was an eighteen. That, that Everyone loved it. Very they very dropped the rating down for the torture, ones. guns, explosions, people being thrown <clears throat> off of buildings and stabbed and shot in the head. Yeah, but there's no blood, so yeah, it's all right then, really, isn't it? You know, they'll do a cutaway, so you assume that someone's just been shot. When you see them pointing a gun, you see them pulling the trigger, you hear the bang, you see the flash of the gun, but you don't actually see the person getting shot, so it's just in your imagination. That's, so that's because okay. they've actually sent them to live in a farm upstate and they can enjoy the rest of their life there. It'll be fine, no one, don't worry. Is that it? Oh, thank God yeah. for that. I'm so traumatised by taking no, three. No, no henchmen were killed in the making of this film. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so overall, Skate's Guide... I don't have a huge problem with it. It's not aimed at me, but at the same time, I watched it and kind of enjoyed it. It's not the greatest comedy ever. It's not the best that's out this year. It's not the best zombie film ever. Um, but yeah, I had some fun with it. Uh, I'd say I mostly enjoyed it once I got over that flimsy first quarter of an hour. If it seems like your kind of film, it probably will be. Talking about appealing to 15-year-old boys... And podcasts have we all got our fifty thousand pound laptops out in front of us? <laughs> yeah, I've got my my uh, BBC Starbucks Sport bookmarked. Yeah, yeah, skinny latte. A joke for like two people who were listening to this. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll make sure if you yeah we'll tweet it we'll tweet it on the Fail Critics account when this goes out. So people can finally understand what that gag's about whenever they see me and Brian tweeting each other about cappuccinos and fifty days of pain laptops. Anyway, that's nearly all for this week's Fail Critics that's podcast. It. All we've got left to do now is recommend some films for you lot to watch during the week. Uh, I'm going to go with Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, as John Lewis wants us to get into the Christmas spirit. Film four are showing Scrooged. Oh, good. It's a good film. Yes. A bit early. Well, not according to John Lewis. Ramming <laughs> another overly sentimental advert down our throats. Still haven't seen it. Feel things and shop at John Lewis. <laughs> the, the best thing is, I mean, even you'll appreciate this, I think, Owen, is the if once you've seen the advert, is that so many people now have made their own versions of it, and now there's a like a kind of Star Wars version of the John Lewis Christmas advert, which is just hilarious. I actually really like the first, I think it was the first one they did, where it's people opening things up, and it's soundtrack to kids singing With Love From Me To You by the Beatles. I think the first one they did um, was a little kid, and he keeps... Waiting for Christmas, like he's waiting for every day. It's through December. He's waiting for Christmas. He's he can't wait for Christmas. And then the end bit is he goes and gets a present for his mum and dad. He's not waiting for presents for himself. He goes and gives them a present. I, I think that that's a later one. I think. All oh, right. Again, folk at home will know the answer and they'll they'll tweet and angrily. You answers on, answers on a postcard to our PO box. Yeah, we're gonna have to. If you keep saying it, we're gonna have to set one of those up eventually. <laughs> yeah, because people. Actually, no, people post stuff to Wiki Shuffle, so yeah, it might happen. <laughs> we, get we could get presents. 
Or we can end up like um, Adrian Charles and just get shit in the post. <laughs> oh, if I'd have thought of that, I'd have done it. I can't stand them, man. Anyway, <laughs> Owen, what are you telling us? What are you going to make us watch? Uh, on t- tomorrow, Tuesday, at five to midnight so on this, BBC One. This relies on you getting this edited in time, then. It does, yeah. So, actually, got a busy so, day so actually, tomorrow. it won't be tomorrow. It'll be today for people who are listening to this. Yeah, all right. Unless they it's listen yesterday. to it on Wednesday. Let's, yeah, unless they listen to it Wednesday, then it's yesterday. Or if they listen to it Thursday. It's the day before yesterday. Before yesterday. Yeah. yeah. But it'll probably pop up on iPlayer in that case. So you're fine. You're grand. Five to five to midnight, Tuesday, the 10th of November, um, on BBC One, is a film called The Mission, which stars Jeremy Irons as a Spanish Jesuit priest in 18th century Paraguay with Robert De Niro as a slave capturing mercenary. Um, it's really good. It's got great imagery, a, a, a fantastic score to it, brilliant performances, interesting plot. It's, um, yeah, it's well worth a watch. Okay, and Brian? Uh, new to Netflix is Master of None by Aziz Ansari. Mm. And it's one of these ones that stand-up comedians do where it's you build a narrative structure around getting some of your bits in. Not like that. It's a bit like Louie, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah. Um, I've not seen a lot of Louis because I, I don't get a lot of Louis C.K. Um, but yeah, it's as easy. Sorry, if you liked Parts and Recreation, and if you didn't, it's because you're a monster. Um, <laughs> it's really good. So get on that. Good. Well, that is yes all for this week's Failed Critics podcast. Thank you, of course for all joining us on this journey through film uh, and thank you to Brian for popping along to um, help us out with this one we'll be back around the same time next week with more film related nonsense The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes created by James Diamond with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com Remixed by James Yule of jamesyule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. I did meet a fan once when I did the other podcast. What, Born Offside? Yeah. Really? When I was on work experience of 442, someone recognised me from doing it. It was a bit weird. I must, have, must admit. I mean, he liked it, which is good, but it's just a bit weird. Did you have to do an autograph? No. Oh, well. It's he horrible won't... when people meet you and they know more about you than you feel they should do. A couple of years ago, around Christmas, when everyone comes back to our hometown there was somebody talking to me for a good 10 minutes and he obviously knew who I was. And I must have gone to school with him or something, but I just didn't have a... Most people I can remember from school, like I'll know who they are at least and know their name. This guy, I didn't have a clue. I think I, I'd had a few drinks. I just stopped him and said, I've got to stop you. I'm, I'm really sorry. I haven't got a clue who you are. And he seemed really dejected by it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't care. Hey, I, you. I, Hi, I, Bella. I, yeah. Hey, <laughs> buddy. How's the dad, mum, brother, 
delete is applicable <laughs> doing. Yeah. What are you up to now? Yeah. I was in the student union once and two guys stopped me on my way to the bar and said, hey, you're the guy that wears the Argentina shirt in town, aren't you? Yeah. But you've also got a Man United shirt, don't you? Anyway, <laughs> this is my song. I'm going. Bye. <laughs> that is a bit weird. It's a small university, but it's not that small. Keeping a diary of what shirts you wear. Like that's, it at all. That's odd. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.